Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in these last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have, <clears throat> have reached the ears of the Lord of the host. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. May we be blessed by the reading of God's holy word this morning. You may be seated. Let me pray for us, and I'll pray this prayer over us as we get started this morning. Join me in prayer. Now speak, Lord, and I will hear. Now call, Lord, and I will answer. Now condemn, now command me, impose on me what you will, and I will submit. None but the Lord, none but Christ, no other Lord nor lover. I am yours, Lord, yours alone. Do your own, demand of your own, whatever you please. What will you have me be, Lord? What will you have me to do? That is what I will do and be. No longer what I will, but yours be done. God, I pray that would be our prayer this morning. As we enter into this moment of reading and hearing and learning from your word, I pray that your will be done in each of us. Whether your will be that we would come to know you as our Savior this morning, or we would have already submitted that to you, and your will be that we would continue to become more like you, I, I pray, God, your will be done. and We would live in submission to that. So now, God, as we pray continuously, we pray that you would, God, let us offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to you, to do your perfect and pleasing will. So lead us this morning, guide us, we pray this in Christ's mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. And this morning, we will continue, we're coming on the last turn of this little letter of James, and James is writing to the believer, and James is saying to the believer, hey, you have to have this faith, but in combination with the faith, there has to be works that come with the faith. It's not our faith, it's not our works that lead us to salvation, but it's our works that show our salvation. So it's this, James is saying these two have to hold hands, they cannot remain separate. And so for us, we've been looking at that, and this morning we're going to look at this thing about our saving faith and what it means with our money. Now again, this is one of those times, this is the reason, one of the reasons I teach verse by verse. Uh, when, when you come to the church and you talk about money, people leave in droves. Uh, this is one of those topics that most people don't want to hear about, but it's in God's word. And so I want to remain faithful to God, and in uh, remaining faithful, I must talk to us about our money this morning. Now here's what James is going to say, and 
he comes out the gate. She's talking to not the believer really this morning, but us as the believer, we can gain from what he's saying. He's talking about the man or the woman that's in the church that isn't a Christ follower yet because he's talking to them about their faith. And he's saying, hey, those of you that are rich, you don't have a faith. And this is how we know you don't have a faith is because of how you're living your life. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to open this morning with an illustration. This this week at school was for Tennyson and Cedar was uh, it was their homecoming. And I, I don't know how y'all did uh, when I grew up every day. Uh, homecoming week was a different theme. And so one of the days was what do you want to be when you grow up day? That was the theme. And so we we're talking to Tennyson and Cedar. And I was like, man, of all weeks for us to be in homecoming and come to this part of homecoming week, asking Cedar what he wanted to be. Now, Stephen, Cedar's seven. Now, most seven-year-olds want to be a lot of things, an astronaut, a, a cop, a fireman. Uh, before he wanted to cut down trees, he wanted to be a lumberjack. Well, this week, you know what he told us he wanted to be? He said, I'm going to be a millionaire. And I was like, now, Cedar, how can I dress up like a millionaire? He said, I'm going to wear all green, and I'm going to put money all over my shirt. And that's what he went as. So my man came out Wednesday morning decked out in all green from head to toe, and he, he took all this fake money and put it all over him. He went to school. I think he was the only one in that whole school that wanted to be a millionaire, but he wants to be a millionaire. And I thought, man, we need to teach you James chapter 5. Because if you're 7 you want to be a millionaire, that's going to be real scary when you're 27 and want to be a millionaire. But I was thinking about him and thinking about us this morning, and I, I want to ask us this question as we start. I don't think we would, any of us in the room would, well, maybe, other than Cedar, would want to be a millionaire. But I think there is something about us that's tied to money. I think God is going to reveal to us, and he says it throughout Scripture about our hearts and money. And so I want us to examine with God's word to our hearts about we are rich, just to let you know. Compared to the rest of the world, we have a lot of money. That's God's blessing onto us. If God did not want to bless us that way, he would not bless us that way. You have money in your pocket. That's God's blessing onto you and to me. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 God is speaking to Moses, and Moses writes this down, and Moses says to the people, and I would say he's saying to us this morning in Deuteronomy 8, 18, you shall remember the Lord your God. Catch this. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So it is God and his blessing onto us that we have any sort of money in our pockets this morning. So money in and of itself, I'm not going to address that money in and of itself is a bad thing. It's what we do with the blessings that God has given us in particular with the money that we have. Does our faith and our salvation work together with all the blessings of the money that God has given? given to us, and how do we use those blessings for his kingdom? That is what James is talking to this group of people about. But I want to remind us 
that there's also, throughout God's holy word, a ton of warnings about money. A ton of warnings. I just want to read a few to us this morning. Is that what Paul is saying to young Timothy? Young Timothy was a young believer kind of becoming um, a, a, a hero of the faith, per se. He was a young man, but there's some things going on in young Timothy's life, and he's saying to young Timothy as Timothy's kind of rising in the ranks of the church and, and gaining popularity and gaining popularity, gaining some sort of wealth. He, he says this to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you've got to catch this because most of us don't read the first half of the, wor- the, the verse. We say money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's not the verse. Money is not the root of evil. This is what Paul is saying to young Timmy. He says, for what? The love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. What craving? The love of money. It's this craving of money that Paul says this, that some have wandered away from the faith. The love of money has caused people to wander from the faith. That ought to be terrifying to us. So the first thing you and I have to ask ourselves this morning is, do I love money? Here's what Jesus says about loving money. It's in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 16. He says this in Luke 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. You are a servant if you are a believer. Do you know that? You are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says you you, if you were a servant, you can't have two masters. You can have, only have one. He says this, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. If you have two masters, you either hate one, despise one, you'll serve one and neglect one. You can't do both. It's impossible, Jesus says. And then he says this as he's talking about having two masters. You cannot serve what? God and money. Jesus, from the get-go, is talking about our love for money and trying to say something to us. This is what Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount. In the Sermon of the Mount is how Jesus is saying to the believer, if you want to live in the kingdom of God, there's certain ways you have to live in the kingdom of God. There's requirements to live in God's kingdom. You can't just Get saved, do whatever you want to do. There are ways that you are to live in God's kingdom. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures or money, where? Here on earth, where moth and rust and will destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart is also. So for us this morning, we have to ask, what do we love and who do we love? What do we love and who do we love? This is going to be an examination of our hearts when it comes to money. You've heard the saying a ton. You can know a lot about a man or a woman based on his wallet. We would say it this way now. You can know a lot uh, uh, about the man or the woman based on their bank account and where you spend 
money and how you spend money. So I want this to be the theme for us. You can write this down this morning. Without a saving faith or a working faith, we will use money in some very destructive and harmful ways. And so what James is going to do in this passage is to say there's some destructive ways that you'll use money without a saving faith, and there's harmful ways that you can use money. Now what James is going to do, the destructive ways are self-imposed. James is going to talk first to the believer. Hey, there's ways that you're going to use money that's harmful to yourself. And then he's going to say to us, there's ways to use money that's going to be harmful to other people. But here's what we know to be true. If you harm yourself, you will always harm other people. And so let's look first this morning, three ways that James talks about loving money more than God will lead to self-destruction. This is in the verse three verses. He says this, he says just what he said last week. It's this moment of grabbing our attention. He says, come now, or come on, listen up. This is really important. Now, James is winding down his letter, and he's beginning to tell us some really, really important things. He has started off his letter at a 30,000-foot view. And over these last few chapters and these last few verses, he's like starting to really hone in. When we first started the book, we would leave here. To, we weren't getting our toes stepped on too much, a little bit. But now James is starting to stomp on our toes if we listen to God's word. And now he's coming, like he's almost to the end of the, end of the letter. And where is he going to hit the most? The heart. And the heart for us is always attached to our money. So he says, come on, listen up. This is important. You who are rich. Now again, he's talking to the unbeliever, but we could say this to us this morning. If you're in this building, you are wealthy. Like filthy rich. America is a wealthy, wealthy country. And that's God's blessing onto us. Not because we deserve it, but for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, he's blessed us in tremendous ways. And we take that for granted. But in taking it for granted, we do some destructive things to ourselves. And he says to them out the gate, hey, let me remind you of a few things. The first thing is this. When we begin to love money, we lose sight of God and we begin to live short-sighted. Remember what he just told us last week. Our life is what? But a vapor. And yet we live in this world, and he says it, hey, you've got to remember something. You who lo love riches and go after riches, there is something coming upon you. L let me say that again. I got one mm in the whole room. When we begin to love money and the things that come with money, and we no longer love God, James says we must weep and wail or holler because there's misery coming on to us and the misery he's talking about it's not the misery of this world of not having money the misery he's talking about is our condemnation 
and our damnation. If you are an unbeliever, you will have both. Condemnation and damnation because your love of money. If you're a believer, you will have just condemnation. You will have to answer before God how you spent all your money or how you hoarded all your money. But when we begin to lose sight of God, we begin to lose sight of God's consequences on our life. And James says we must weep and wail and holler and be reminded of the miseries that are coming upon you. That's the first thing we get self-sighted. And in self-sightedness, we begin to be short-sighted and we forget what's going to come upon us and what we'll have to answer for. The next thing is this. Not only are we short-sighted, but we must be reminded of what money does for us. And this is the scary part. We see it in the text. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten and your gold and your silver have corroded. What, what James is saying is this, that those things that you thought once gave you relief are but temporary. Now, that is to much of my displeasure. Am I the only one? It, 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 this is how it looks in my life. When the day is not going well, or I'm having a bad day, oftentimes I love to spend money to make myself feel better. Am I the only one? Or I love to eat. That's what he talks about that. He, Anyone else an eater, an emotional eater? He says that in the text. He says, these riches that you have are moth-eaten, what, what, are, are rotten. That, that's how, there's three things in the text that he's going to address. He's going to address all the places of our food, all the places of our clothing, and all the places of our money. Those three things in this culture were ways that you knew you were rich. If you had a lot of food, you were rich. If you had a lot of clothes, you were rich. And if you had a lot of money, you were rich. And James is saying, hey, you do these because you're seeking temporary relief. Now, I don't know about you. The way I seek temporary relief is through tennis shoes. Just saying. I'm just, I'm being honest. You can ask Jenny, my closet is vomiting tennis shoes at the moment. But if I'm honest about my honesty, it's oftentimes because, man, I need temporary relief. Yesterday, I was sitting on the couch. They got these new things by Cheez-Its. They are amazing. They're called Snap. Anyone ever had any? I was like sitting there. I was having a bad day, just like overwhelmed with anxiety. I took that entire bag, and man, my whole hand looked like Cheeto puffs were like just dangling. I mean, I was like, I got done. I was like had a cheese hangover. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm looking for relief. And it's only temporary. Which leads to the next thing. And this is the scary part because this is where the truth comes in. It's a short-term gain in monetary pleasure. Man, those cheeses were amazing. And it really did, for that moment of eating that entire bag, I'm telling you, it was an entire bag. Like probably 2,000 calories of, of, of cheeses. There's no telling how many chemicals went into my body yesterday. But when I was done with the bag, I threw the bag away, and within like two minutes, that anxiety came back. But in the moment, 
I was like, man, this feels so good. Then I started watching Texas football. Okay, don't hate. I love Texas, all right? You volunteer fans will really know this one. I started watching the game, and they weren't doing so well. I got up from, the, from my, anyone else? Like, I went to get ice cream. I'm, I'm just being honest. Normally, I, I can, like, like dole out ice cream. Like, I, I know how much is, like, a healthy portion. But yesterday, they, weren't, they were winning, and they weren't playing well. I ate the entire thing of ice cream. No, no doubt. There were probably 800 calories. Like, yesterday alone, just for my emotional eating, for temporary relief, for self-pleasure, I probably consumed close to 3,000 calories for emotionally eating. Am I the only one in the room? Okay, like, we've got three people. Like, okay, maybe you went and, like, anyone ever, like, find themselves just, like, scrolling through Amazon, hoping to find something? Throw, scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, playing a video game. That's all momentary relief. All that is what James is talking about to us. Money or the things that bring us money will always lead to self-destruction. And James is saying, come on, listen up. He's saying, I promise the short-term gain is not worth the long-term destruction. The short-term gain, I'm going to say it again, the short-term gain is not worth the long-term destruction. That is what he says to us. He, he says, hey, misery is coming upon you, whether you like it or not. That's the first place of self-destruction. But again, if we do self-destruction, we will always do harmful things to other people. So the first three verses are about self. The last four verses, verse three included, is about other people. There's four ways that he says that you will do this to other people. You could, if you wanted to, put the first one into the first category just for the sake of uh, the flow of the outline. I'm putting in this, this, out, this outline. There's four ways that we see in the text. Verse two and three says the first way. He says, your gold and your silver's have corroded, and your, their corrosion will be evidence, evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in these last days. The first way that we do this is that we harm ourselves and other people through hoarding. And I don't mean like the hoarders on the TV show, though you might be that. But when we hoard things, we are hoarding because we're not trusting that God will provide for us. And so we'll hoard and we'll hoard and we'll hoard and we'll hoard, which really is revealing to us how much do we trust God that he will meet us in the prayer, our daily bread. It's what the Israelites did. Remember, the Israelites were wandering around the wilderness and they were getting really hungry. And so they cry out to God in their hunger and God sends manna to them. And remember what some of them did. They hoarded it. And their hoarding was a direct reflection of their hearts of what they believed to be true about God, that God wasn't going to show up the next morning and give them exactly what they needed for the day. So do you and do I believe that God's going to show up? And if there's hoarding in your life, I'm not saying not to have a savings account. It's not what I'm saying. We see that in te the text. But I'm saying 
when we have so much in the bank account, the bank account doesn't allow us to trust in the one who put it in the bank account. I promise this, you did not put your money in the bank account. Like I know you might have put it in the bank account, but you only were able to put money in the bank account because God graciously gave you that money to put in the bank account. Let us never forget that. So I'd say this, what is the antidote to hoarding? Three things, we see this throughout God's word. Those three things are this, how do we have go against hoarding? The first one is this, we must remember how God's called us to use our money. The first one is this, that God has called us to use the money that he's given us to, to be a blessing to advance God's kingdom. We ought to give more money to missionaries around the world. We ought to support more church plants around the world because in doing so leads to the next one. The more money that we can get out of this place and into the world, we'll do this. It will speak to how we care about lost people. Like if we're called by God to advance God's kingdom, then we ought to be the people, the rich people, to supply the funds to the poor people that are advancing God's kingdom all over the world. So the first one is this, you must advance God's kingdom with what God has given to you so that it would lead to the forest, so that what? We will win lost people. Which leads to the next one. And in doing so, we are to care. We see this throughout the text. We are to care for two people. The widow and the orphans or the needy people. Now again, this is where I'll step on toes. I hope God's word will step on toes. My question to me this week in studying this passage, for me as the pastor at Powell's Chapel and for the people at Powell's Chapel, are we hoarding our money? We have $450,000 in a bank account. Is that hoarding or is that being wise stewards? I don't know, but I know all of us must ask the question, is that hoarding? And are we using that money to do those three things? Care for the needy, to win lost people, and to advance God's kingdom. Because if not, I do know this to be true for us, not just me, the pastor, but for you, the one that calls yourself a member of Powell's Chapel, you and I, all of us equally, will have to give an account to that $450,000 one day. And God will ask us, were we wise stewards with all that God gave to us? And then he'll reveal to us in the day of reckoning if we were wise stewards or if we were not. I'm not saying we're hoarding. But I'm asking us of the people of this church to ask the question, are we hoarding? Do we trust more in that money than we do in the God that gave us that money? Because if we, I promise this, because God's word shows us and reveals over and over, if we trust in that money more than we trust in the God that gave us that money, he will take all that money. Or he'll remove his presence from us because of that money. He may not take the money. He may take his presence from us, which is ten times more scary than him taking the money. 
That's the first question I'd ask us. Are we hoarding? The next one is this. He says this. Are we cheating others with the money that's been given to us? We see this in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which have been kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The, the, another way, the second way that we can harm other people is by cheating other people out of the money that they do deserve. Now, what, who, who he is talking about in the text is the wealthy man. The wealthy man got wealthy because of uh, their farms. And because of their farms, they had to daily hire out daily wage, wa- uh, wagers to come and harvest the field. And what was happening in this time was that the rich people were using all their money, saying they were going to pay them, the poor people would come and harvest all their land, give the rich man more riches, and then the rich man withheld the money that was owed to the poor man. We would call that slavery. And so James is rebuking the man who has the money that he's promised to pay, but is no longer paying, and he's getting rich off the back of another man. Now, how does that translate to us today. If you are an employer, I would say this, are you paying your workers what they're worth? Are you withholding from them? Now you might be giving them a paycheck, but is it really the value that they're bringing to the table? Are you shirking your responsibilities to pay the man what they're worth? That is who James is talking about. So if you're not, if you're all of you in this room, this is me because I both am an employee and employer. I, I have both. And so I had asked my question, am I cheating any of the people in my business out of what they deserve? So if you're an employee uh, or an employer, excuse me, are you doing that? This, that just happened here in Nashville. I was reading the news this week. It, it was a really nice restaurant in downtown Nashville by a, a famous chef. I won't tell you her name um, because I, I can't remember it, but um, it, it, it's, she's a famous lady. But this week, the workers of that restaurant showed up to the restaurant, and the restaurant was closed forever with no notice. And the woman said she wasn't going to pay them the wages that they deserved for working what they had because they w- she just didn't want to run this restaurant anymore. It wasn't because she was going into bankruptcy. She just didn't want to run the restaurant anymore. So all these employees were on, literally on the street trying to get in to get a job. Now that lady's going to have to give an account for what and how she treated people. You see, it's more not about cheating people out of what they are owed. It's how God's called us to care for people. Are we caring for people? These four things, as you will notice, are progressive in nature. They go from bad to worse. Like we think hoarding is really like harming ourselves. Well, hoarding is really harming other people to begin with. That's the top level. Now they begin to cheat other people. Now he says this in verse 5. Verse 5, he says this. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened your heart for the day of slaughter. He says this. There is a place for us, not just hoarding, not just cheating, but in self-indulgence. That means I'm going to live in luxury 
based on other people. I'm going to live the life I want to live, but I'm only living the life I'm able to live based on those people below me. Remember what we talked about several weeks ago, that there's always going to be people under us, and how do we mistreat them? What James is saying, hey, you're mistreating those people by not paying them, and by not paying them, now you're living a life of luxury. The, the word literally means this, a soft, easy life. And James is going to rebuke that. And the last thing James says about our money is this. See, when you live in hoarding, you live in robbing from others, you live this easy lifestyle, your heart will get so hard that you will then go murder people. It's called being a covetous person. And so what James is saying is, if you don't deal with hoarding, you don't deal with giving your money to those who deserve the money, you live this life of luxury, there's going to be a moment that all the luxury in your life won't be enough and you'll want more. And And wanting more, he says this, you have condemned and you have murdered the righteous person. You have killed a person to get what you now have. Now, scholars would say this. Some scholars believe he's literally talking about the rich person who has gone and murdered someone to get what they want even more and rob it from the other person. We see that all the time on television, in the news. Another way that other scholars believe, and either can be true, that you will take from another person, you may not murder them, but you'll take so much from them they can no longer live. And they die. You rob from them so much for what? Your own self-pleasure. And so for us this morning, the question is this. Are there things in your life currently that lead you to self-destruction? Are there things in the life of this church that are leading for this church a life of self-destruction? Because if that is true, then the second half of the passage is just as true. We will harm and hurt other people. But here's the grace of God. Here's the kindness of God. We don't have to live that way. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy how we ought to live. He doesn't say to us, though he may like the young rich ruler that came to Jesus, and Jesus say, hey, you want to live with me? You got to give it all away. I don't think that's prescriptive. I think that's descriptive, meaning that that, that's not true for all of us. I don't think all of us in this room need to today empty our bank accounts and give it all away. I, I don't think that's true. But it is true that we ought to examine our hearts of what's holding us back from living the life God has called us to. Now Paul says back to Timothy just a few verses later in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Now I want you to say this to the rich man or woman. He says, and as for the rich in this present age, charge them or encourage them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But, I love buts in the Bible, but we are to what? Set our hopes where, he says, on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. I'm not saying to us, I don't believe Paul is saying to Timothy to get rid of all of our riches, but he is saying to us, may our riches or may our hope not be in our riches, but in the one who gave us the riches. And then may we store up treasures in heaven, not on this earth. How are we to store up treasures in heaven? By being generous with all that God has given to us. Let us pray.